It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 at the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Hi, everybody. Happy Monday. Hope you had a great weekend and welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you. The phone number is 201-939-4513 or you can hit us up on Twitter at hashtag Giants chat as we continue to talk Giants football. We could talk division a weekend and of course we will take your calls. Mr. Meadow, Mr. Dottino, happy Monday. How are you guys? Hey guys. Doing all right. How's everything with you? We are fantastic. All right, let's kind of get to it here a little bit. Guys, the Giants head coaching search has begun in earnest. We have three interviews that the team has confirmed that we can discuss briefly. Uh, There's other ones that are being reported. We can, of course, take questions about any candidates um, you guys want to talk about. We can do all of that and talk about those reports. But the three that the Giants have confirmed are the two coaches from the Buffalo Bills. They squeaked in those three initial interviews before the weekend game on Sunday between the Bills and the Chiefs, uh, Brian Dable and Leslie Frazier. And the reason they had to do that, by the way, is that after this week, if the Bulls had had won, they would not have been able to talk again until after the AFC Championship game for Super Bowl weekend. And that can only be a second interview that week. So you need to get the initial interviews done before that. So they got those two done, and then they got Lou Lou Anarumo done, again, for the same reason with those rules applying. An initial interview with him on Sunday after the Bengals won and did advance to the AFC Championship game. So that's where we stand right now. We know other names are in the others of the internet right now, and we were happy to talk about those as well if you guys want to chat about them on the phones. But... Those are the three we have confirmed, and, and Paul, obviously, no surprise that the two guys from the Buffalo Bills would be on the docket. No, not at all, and obviously with Buffalo being knocked out of the playoffs over the weekend, there's now the freedom to make a move if that's what the Giants want to do. I mean, I'm sure they're going to go through the entire interview process with the whole slew of guys through the first round before they make a decision, but at least they now know that this is not a situation that they're going to have to wait and it's to be de- determined, you know, when the guy's going to be available. Uh, the only one now is Lou Anarumo, who is still with the active Cincinnati Bengals. Well, the only one that's been reported. We don't know what other interviews they might end up correct, doing. Correct, correct. I'm talking about the names that are out there. Right. Even the other names that have been reported by the national media, uh, those guys are free agents. Uh, well, one of them is a free agent. The other guy has has apparently been given permission well, by one of the teams. Their seasons are either completed or they are not currently right working for a team. Right, I yes. shouldn't. Free agent is a bad word to use. Well, the one guy's a free agent, uh, but in any event, so the restrictions are really not very heavy right now when you consider there's only one guy with the team still playing. Well, and as far as Anarumo is concerned, he also has ties to Joe Shane. So I don't think that name was necessarily a surprise. You mentioned, John, that they brought in both Bills coordinators. Clearly, he came from Buffalo, but he was with Anarumo in Miami. So, you know, they go back in terms of his stint with the Dolphins, which came before the Bills. So you see the trend here. Shane is bringing in individuals that he has close ties to, and it's a relationship-built league that the NFL operates within. So I don't think that's necessarily startling. I know a number of the names that have been reported don't necessarily have ties to Joe Shane, and you should always expand your reach. But it's no surprise if you look at also what other teams are doing when the GM comes in and he has a new job, he's likely going to turn to individuals at least to talk to initially that there's some level of trust that is built. So the three guys that have been official, who the Giants have announced that they've officially interviewed, no surprise, all established relationships with the new general manager. Now, when Lulu Anamuro is here, I know a lot of people aren't as familiar with that name, and we could talk about Frazier and Dable obviously as well. You know, he was a very good secondaries coach, and he was basically poached by the Bengals uh, that year after 2018 when Zach mm-hmm. Taylor came aboard. He wanted to bring mm-hmm. Lou Anamuro on, and, you know, he did a real good job with the Giants secondary in 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's gone over there, and frankly, with you know, aside from Jesse Bates, who's an excellent you know Pro Bowl level safety, they've kind of had a lot of moving pieces in that secondary. And while obviously the offense of the Bengals is what everyone talks about, understandably so, Joe Burrow, all those receiver weapons, the defense has done a pretty nice job this year as well. They've definitely held up their end of the bargain. You know, it's funny, John. I remember when he got here, 
and he's a Staten Island native, and he used to go with his father to Giants games. I got to be really good friends with Lou. That's how I can I can go into some background here. Went to Wagner College, graduated from there. Lifelong Giants fan. Uh, again, always wanted to play for the Giants. His dream as a kid, he wanted to play for the New York Giants. But realizing that his physical tools were not going to get him that far, he wound up going into coaching very early uh, in his life and spent 20 years at the NCAA level. Now, the highest he ever got was to be an assistant head coach at Harvard, uh, where or Tim Murphy was for about five years. They had that one season where they lost one game and they nearly were undefeated. And that was the, the pinnacle of his college coaching career in terms of title. But then when he got plucked by Miami and became their secondary coach, that was almost like, oh, my God. I'm actually in the NFL. He was just so thrilled to get that job. And then, of course, when he came to the Giants as their secondary coach, now it just – this guy was one of the happiest people that I've ever met when he walked onto this campus. He was so, so happy to be here. And I know he never would have left unless he was going to get a huge promotion. And to be a D.C. of an NFL team, how could you turn that down? Well, and the one thing I remember about him, too, is that he was a guy that in practice, after every play, he would pull whatever DBs oh, yeah. were involved in that Always. play over and discuss with them the specifics of that play. And the communication between him and the players was also very, very strong. Very honest guy, okay? Well, he's from Staten Island. What do you expect? And he's a paisan. Come on. It doesn't get any better than that. Well, that should have been atop the resume, clearly. Well, without yes. a doubt, no, in, in fairness, without a doubt, it does get better than he could have been a Paisan from Jersey. That's true. <laughs> but Staten Island's close enough. Well, Jersey and Staten Island are both secondary to the other four boroughs anyway. Wow. So That's very really true. Makes no wow. difference. It makes no difference whether you're on the other side of the river, but, it, to but, me. But here's no... what you need to know about Lou in terms of his coaching ability. Uh, he's been around a long time. He certainly knows a ton about defense. He is uh, very straight in terms of his honesty. He's a straight shooter. He's frank. He's not going to BS you. He's not going to give you a song and dance. He's direct. He'll tell you exactly what's going down. And, you know, look, I like a guy like that because he's genuine. He wears it all on his sleeve. So we'll see. Lance, you can touch on Lou if you want to jump to the Bills guys. You can certainly do that Yeah, as well. well, I mean, listen, if it's a guy like Lou Anarumo, and he certainly has paid his dues, as Paul mentioned, the reason why, by the way, that he went eventually to the Dolphins is, and this goes back to the relationship triangle Joel that I Philbin. keep bringing. Joe Philbin, correct, was yep. at Harvard. He was the offensive line coach, so the Philbin gets the Dolphins job. He brings Anarumo with him. And then also Zach Taylor was the offensive coordinator with the Dolphins. So then when he got the head coaching gig at Cincinnati, who does he turn back to? A mm -hmm. guy that was on staff, you see? I mean, all you have to do is look at the names around the NFL in their previous stints. But if you go once again in the direction of a defensive-minded coach, remember, all of those guys who come in, and if one of them eventually does get the Giants gig, it's still going to be dependent on who their offensive coordinator is and what they do to oversee that facet of the team. I'm not against a defensive-minded coach. I would probably shy away from that and more towards an offensive-minded coach only because of I think that's the biggest need for the team. But if you're going to go in the direction of a defensive-minded coach, the game plan has to be who's your OC and what exactly do you envision that OC doing with the personnel that you're planning to keep and build upon. That's still going to be the X factor, regardless of whether or not the individual is great in front of a room, whether or not he can address the entire team and so forth. The same thing holds true for a guy like Leslie Frazier, who, unlike Anna Rumo, has previous head coaching experience with the Vikings, but same thing. Who's going to be his OC? What is his game plan on that side of the ball? Yeah, and look, that, that's always going to be important. We can open up the phones, Andrew, if you want to start uh, screening some calls, you can. 201-939-4513. I see him blinking. I might also get you guys up and on hold, and we will get to you guys uh, in just a second here. So let's, let's jump over to Dable and Frazier. Obviously, the Bills with just a, boy, that is as tough of a loss if you're a Bills fan as you can have over the weekend and what was you know one of the best NFL weekends of the year. Uh, wow, that was a tough loss. But, uh, you know, obviously – what Brian Dable's done there as an offensive coordinator, go back to his one year at Alabama with Tua, very different type of player with Josh Allen. You could see he has really uh, catered the offense and the way they run it to Josh Allen's skill set, his ability, including his running ability. I know Paul was loving those design quarterback runs over the weekend. It's his favorite. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> and then he goes back, obviously, oh. to – 
to um, a lot of other experience. You know, uh, he was with New England, Brian Dable, coaching a couple different positions. So he's a guy with a lot of experience, a lot of in the AFC East, obviously. But um, he's a guy that has had success at a lot of different places, and he knows how to run an offense. And now with the Bill season's over, this is a process that can go quicker. And obviously there are reports out there that a second interview is forthcoming. We, we cannot confirm or deny that at this point. But that's where we stand with him. You know, he's one of the hot names of the coordinators in the NFL. I mean, John, let's not kid ourselves. We've seen him attached to several openings, not the, not just the Giants. Well, the well he's interviewed with other places, yeah. too. You know, yeah. and, you know, Leslie Frazier's a guy who also, without getting, you know, too deep into him right no, here. No, go ahead, please. Go but, ahead. No, but, but he's another guy because he played with the 85 Bears. You know, he was part of that Monsters of the Midway defense uh, that, that won a Super Bowl title. And that also, of course, had head coaching experience with the Vikings. So that's a guy who also has great familiarity with people around the league. And what did what did Lance just say a minute ago? You know, just start connecting dots. When you, when you think about the NFL, there's an awful lot of connecting dots. And with a guy like Dable, who's been around so much success for a lot of years, and a guy like Frazier, who has also had a variety of experiences in this league for a long, long time, it's only natural that they're going to get shots. They're going to get phone calls. And people are going to want to talk to them again because they know them. Well, I think what's also interesting about Dayball is if the game plan is that Daniel Jones is the guy that you want to build around, you have him working with helping develop a player like Josh Allen. So I'm sure that's one of the strongest selling points is Joe Shane sits down with Brian Dable as they already had one interview, and you say to yourself, okay, if Daniel Jones is your guy and the GM comes in and says, I want to build upon him, what did you do with Josh Allen? I'm not saying they're identical. In no way am I saying that, but you need somebody that's going to come in to continue to help develop your young quarterback, especially since you're bringing a new offense into the mix. And also, Daniel Jones, similar to Josh Allen, has the ability to run. So you can operate similar plays in terms of the structure of that. Now, Josh Allen is built very different than Daniel Jones, okay? Let's not overlook that and discuss that. So the fact that Allen can absorb some of those hits in contact doesn't mean that Daniel Jones, you want to put him in that position and you're going to give him the green light because he's already missed at least two starts in each of his first three seasons. But I think if you're going to connect the dots outside of the relationships and you're going to say, okay, if we bring this guy in, from an offensive standpoint, what can he do with the personnel in place? I think the appeal is you just worked with a young quarterback in Josh Allen who could move, and you have somebody in-house here with Daniel Jones. Yeah, Josh Allen, 6'5", 240. He ran over a linebacker and never he lowered the shoulder on that one Chiefs linebacker yesterday. Might have been a safety. And he just literally ran the dude over. He is a tank. I, I like to akin him to a tight end. Yeah. Once he gets downfield, yeah. right. he, he to me, looks way. like he runs like a tight end. Yeah, no, no argument for me. All right, that that's Dable. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Leslie Frazier, Paul. You mentioned he's been a coach in the league for a really long time, yeah. a lot of experience, has had coaching experience for the Vikings, was around 500 in those three-plus years that he was there. I think it was interim, right? And then he was three full, yeah. mm-hmm. full, full years mm-hmm. there. So he was around 500 overall record. And look, and, and he's a guy that coaches on the defensive side of the ball, uh, has a lot of experience in the league, and uh, I think that's kind of you know what stands out to me at least about his resume. Well, look at some of the head coaches that he worked for. He was was on staffs with Andy Reid, Tony Dungy, Marvin Lewis, who won a lot of games and went to a lot of playoffs. Now, Marvin Lewis didn't get to a Super Bowl as a head coach, but the guy has a lot of pelts on his belt, too. So Frazier's experiences, which go all the way back to, again, him as a player in the 80s, he has worked with a number of very successful head coaches during the course of his career. And you know what they always say, you glean something from everywhere that you go. So I'm sure that Leslie Frazier, although he's 62 years old, and some people may say, well, you know, he's not one of the younger wave of head coaching candidates. This is a guy who has compiled a lot of information, and I'm sure he's taken encyclopedias worths of notes. Yeah, 62 years old, Lance. Yeah, well, he goes back to 2003 with the Bengals, as Paul was referring to, which was his first defensive coordinator job. So he's got a wealth of defensive coordinator experience, the stint with the Vikings. He's done a really nice job with the Bills' defense. 
remember, their defensive turnaround is just as important as the development of Josh Allen as to why that team has been consistent really from 2018 on, and they've been a mainstay in the playoffs. As far as his personality, Leslie Frazier, to me, comes across as one of the gentlemen in the NFL. He's not necessarily a row-row type of guy. He's not rowdy. He's soft-spoken in terms of if you look at some of his media sessions. But, I mean, the man has been around the game, and he's worked with a lot of different schemes, a lot of different players. I think if you go back to the Minnesota tenure, if you're just wondering, as you're referring to, John, why you know that team didn't necessarily have a great deal of success. They did have a 10-6 and six season in 2012. I would go back to the quarterback situation. He didn't necessarily have a great deal of stability. They had drafted Christian Ponder. They worked with a few veterans during that time. So, you know, that was really the biggest challenge that I think he had in Minnesota. He had Adrian Peterson in the rushing attack. They just didn't necessarily solidify that quarterback position. Yeah, and he was D.C. on their Brad Childress when Brad Childress right. was yeah. the head coach there. All right, let's get to it, guys. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat. Paul Dottino, Lance Meadow, John Schmelk with you. Hey, folks, just as a quick reminder, you can secure your season tickets for 2022 today for only 100 bucks. Limited seats are available. Speak with the Giants ticket representative now and become a season ticket member by calling 888-NYG-1925. Let's go to Jimmy and Rose Hill. He will lead us off today. Jimmy. Hey, guys. How are you? What's going on? Hi. Hey, hey uh, John, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm glad to hear I'm kicking the week off. I'm assuming you're still holding to your call a week, right? Uh, we are going to try to, yes. It's a, it's a big week. Okay. Head coach getting hired. I want to get everybody a chance to get in. Good. Terrific. Um, anyway, just a, a quickly comment before I get to uh, my question about the uh, head coach uh, search. Um, Lance's comment about the, uh, about the other five boroughs is, is absolutely spot on. No argument here from the Bronx. Yeah, hey, hey, look, Jimmy, um, remember, in, in order to get the jersey, you got to go through Staten Island. So it's kind of like a progression. You have, like, the real boroughs, then you get to Staten Island, and then you get to, obviously, the Burbs out Well, here. and there's a reason why Staten yeah, Island is not connected to those other boroughs. Yes, okay? correct. Got to take a bridge there or some other type of thing. Yeah, but Jersey's boat, got Sinatra. Okay. Wonderful. And Congratulations. And Springsteen. As if New the York boss, City has... The boss and the chairman of the board. Yes, because clearly there's no culture in New York <laughs> I'm City. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying. Hello? Neil Diamond ring hey. any bells? How about that? Brooklyn born and bred. How about that? He's good. Hey, Paul. He's good. Paul, you don't want to go there. Exactly. Go Jimmy, there, you tell right? him, Jimmy. It is yeah. what it is. Uh, <laughs> and, any, and, and also, if you live in Queens or Brooklyn, yes, you get to Jersey through Staten Island. But if you're from the Bronx, you take the George Washington no, Bridge. That's a good point. Good point. <laughs> you right. avoid uh, Staten I Island completely, everybody. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I encourage everybody out there, I don't know if you guys would uh, allow props or not, but that the recent podcast uh, on uh, Believe, with uh, Papa and uh, Carl Banks is a must-listen. Um, and it, it gets to the whole relationship aspect that you guys have been talking about. And I think Paul sometimes uses the expression spider web. I mean, that's what this... So they would... And on the podcast, it was coming up in the context of Shane's hire and who we may hire as, a, as an offensive coordinator. But the more you start, you know, examining all of these names as they come up and you do a Google search... You say, holy crap, you know, yes, that's true. There's connections all over the place. But, John, my question is for you, because I know you probably have a lot of callers. I know you've expressed in the past that, and, and I agree, I mean, the giant um, offense is, like, beyond broken, and you'd like to see an offensive guy. But my question to you is, are you at, are you at least, I mean, a little bit concerned at all with the fact that um, the names that have been floated out up there, other than Dable, there hasn't been a single guy that you would consider an offensive guy. Is that any any of a concern for you at all? Um, I'm not sure I would consider it a concern, Jimmy. Thanks a lot for the call. I appreciate it. Um, obviously, okay. you know that that has been you know my stated preference. I think it's really important to get this offense right now. Look, it's very possible for whomever they hire to go hire a great offensive coordinator. It's going to work out. That that can that can work too. You know how long that guy will then stay here? It's it's you know who knows. There there is no way to know that. Mm-hmm. But, look, they, they'll figure out the best guys that are available. And, quite frankly, the thing about it is that so many of these offensive coaches have gotten jobs the last few years. There aren't a lot of guys with a lot of years of experience as a play caller and OC that are out there. 
Now, you can go pluck a, a, a first-year guy if you want, but I think there are some drawbacks to that. They have much less experience. I did do a little bit of a study here, guys, if, if you want to get into it, about offensive, defensive, and CEO coaches over the last 15 years. Would you guys like to go through that now, or you want to take some more calls first? What are your thoughts we, on that? We can go through it. Yeah. Okay. Well, with respect to what their success you're talking about. Well, here's what I did. I looked at the four coaches that went to the AFC and NFC championship games each of the last 15 years, going back to the Giants' appearance in 2007, and they won the Super Bowl, obviously, right? Well, you're going to have Belichick in there for an awful lot of Well, them. here, okay, so I, I, I did a few different numbers here just to give people an idea, right? In the last four seasons— 13 of the 16 teams that were in the semifinals in the NFL had an offensive guru-type head coach. It was an offensive-oriented head coach. Three of the Super Bowls were won by those coaches, and five of the six people appearing in those Super Bowls in the last three were offensive coaches, gurus-types. Now, you go back 10 years, the numbers drop all the way, 18 of 40, so a little bit less than Hmm. half. You go back 15 years, you get to only 24 of 60. And six of those 15 were Super Bowl champions. Now, a lot of these are repeats, so I actually gave you individual names. And I also, there were some coaches on the offensive side of the ball that I don't consider like the offensive guru play calling types that I didn't want to put in that category, so I kind of put them separately. They're not counted in those numbers. So here's what I got. The offensive guru types in the last 15 years – these are the guys have have at least appeared in a championship game in either the AFC or the NFC in the final four. Andy Reid, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Zach Taylor, Matt LaFleur, Bruce Arians, Sean Payton, Doug Peterson, Mike McCarthy, Gary Kubiak, Brad Childress, Ken Wisenhunt, Norv Turner. Mm-hmm. Those guys were all hired for their play-calling prowess. So those are the guys I have in that category. Okay? There are 13 names. Defensive-oriented head coaches. Here's what I got. Sean McDermott, Mike Vrabel, Bill Belichick, Mike Zimmer, Ron Rivera, um, Fox, Mike Smith, Rex Ryan, Lovey Smith. Nine. Hmm. Now these are my CEO-neither category types. Okay. Pete Carroll. Mike Tomlin, both Harbaugh's, Jim Caldwell, Scott Pagano, Tom Coughlin, Doug Marone. Do you think I category categorize those guys correctly? Oh, I think you were very fair. So that's what I have it. And in the CEO category, then there are two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Those are the last 15 years Which that I looked at. You, you can go anywhere you want. It means that yeah, there's no formula. There, there yeah. is no, and that's kind of what I found, right? I think in, it's fair to say in recent years, it's swayed towards the offensive coach. It's pretty clear in the last four years. I mean, 13 of 16 of the semifinalists have been offensive guru types. Right. And I'll give you those. Reed McVay, Shanahan Taylor, LaFleur, Arians, um, Sean Payton. Those are the ones in the last four years that have dominated the semifinals. And obviously Belichick, Vrabel, McDermott mm-hmm. are the three non-ones, non-offensive types that have been in the final four the last four years. Now, now, I'm not saying that you should go deeper with the chart, but the interesting part would be of those guys on either side of the ball who were specialties as head coaches – did their opposite coordinator also have a very strong reputation as a very strong guru on the other side of the ball? Right, it would be very hard for me to quantify that. Yeah. Well, but I would. It's, yeah, it's a it's a very sticky chart to try to compile. Well, that's where I was going to go, Paul, and I would say I would say that probably you're going to come to the conclusion that they were very well balanced. For example, Sean McVay so. brought in Wade Phillips as his defensive mm-hmm. coordinator, and Wade Phillips had his own head coaching experience. Before he came to the Rams, then you look at, brought up the Philadelphia Eagles, Doug Peterson. He had Jim Schwartz, okay, who also had previous head coaching experience with the Lions. So a lot of those compliments, what you're going to find is they were well-balanced because they brought in maybe a CEO or a guy that was very good at his individual facet so that he could go off on his own and handle that. 
Did you mention Dan Quinn? I was going to say Dan Quinn is my 10th defensive coach. Right, because yes, he had correct. Shanahan as yes. his offensive coordinator Qu- at Atlanta. Dan Quinn is the 10th defensive coach. Right. I, I wrote down North Turner under defense, and I knew that was wrong, so I didn't read it off, but Dan Quinn was my 10th defensive right. coach. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, so, look, the bottom line is somehow, some way, you've got to be able to find a balance on the coaching staff with whatever titles you wind up assigning to either side of the ball. Correct. But I think it is fair to say that, generally speaking, you can probably hold on to a defensive coordinator a little bit longer than an offensive coordinator if you have an elite one. Yeah, it would seem that way. Yeah, because if you have a successful run as an offensive play caller and you have a really good quarterback, that probably is going to (laughs) elevate your chances of getting promoted. And moving on. So that's the risk you take when you bring in a defensive coach who brings in maybe an up-and-coming offensive coordinator. He has a year or two that's really good. Then he becomes a hot coaching candidate. That's what we've seen. I will say this, though. If they do go in the direction of an offensive-minded guy, let's say, there's a lot of appealing defensive coordinators slash former head coaches that are out on the market that if you really wanted to find your ideal complement, you could really pick a few good interviews to choose from. So that's certainly appealing. Now, if you're a head coach with maybe a defensive background, that's not to say that there's not appealing offensive play callers. It's just you run the risk of a year or two later, you may need to now find somebody to replace that right, person. And there aren't as many. And, and Lance, look, we're not connecting them to the Giants. We can just mention some of the names. We're not saying the Giants are interviewing these guys. Mm-hmm. You know, Dan Quinn was one. Vic Fangio, who doesn't even part of an organization right now, was another. Mike Zimmer's another. Yep. Those are three guys with defensive backgrounds that no were doubt. former head coaches that are not head coaches right now. Right. And, and you know, what's also in common, though, with the guys you just mentioned? It seems to me the more respected defensive coordinators are an older group of guys compared to the offensive coordinators who get more headlines. You don't have the young, hot-shot defensive coordinators. The guy who— um, Doesn't uh, seem that way. Chargers head coach, the name is um, Brandon Stanley. Brandon Stanley right. would be kind of yeah. the one guy that jumps to mind in the last do, 10 do years. Do you want to quantify Todd Bowles as young? Yeah, yeah. Maybe you compared could, to yeah. maybe some of those other guys. I, I, but still. I would say when yeah. he got the Jets head coaching job, he was certainly a young, hotshot defensive coordinator. Right. I think that's fair. But more often than not, I think the, the offensive coordinator gurus are a younger group of guys. It I'll just seems out, that way. I'm not Ro- sure Todd Bowles helped himself singling up Cooper Cup with the safety with 30 seconds to go yesterday, but okay. <laughs> go ahead, Lance. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, I think Robert Sala falls under the category yeah, that's of a, good a young defensive-minded guy. Uh, that, oh, Lance, yeah, that, that's a really yeah, good that's one. That's a really good one. I, agree I with think that. he earned his stripes and worked his way up, and he's 42 years old. So, I mean, yep. no, that, I think that, I think that's that a great example. Applies. I think that's yeah. a great example. Great example. 201-939-4513. Chris in New York. He's up next. Chris, what's up? Is that me, Cliff, instead of Chris? They get my name wrong sometimes. That's yeah, Cliff, that is you. No worries. What's going on? Yeah, okay. How you doing, guys? We're great. What's up? A uh, uh, couple things. Um, just from the three uh, bios that I've seen so far on the website of the coaches, uh, I like Lou the best right away. Um, and I'm after this mysterious thing called fit, you know. And um, that's real stuff when you're talking about Staten Island and the Bronx and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, but Cliff, I I would not make connections to the New York area. I mean, it's nice. I would not consider making that a big part of my hiring process. That means absolutely nothing as far as All right, I'm glad to hear that because I was worried about Joe Shane coming from Indiana. Because winning, Cliff, here's the thing. If you win games, they don't care if you're coming in from, you know, Brazil or, you know, Tanzania, take take your pick. As long as you win games, they don't care where you're from. I still think that traditionally we're, we're a team built on defense, and I don't know if that means you, you, you can't have a coach who's offensive guru, but um, I'm, I'm concerned about who they're going to be keeping, and I'm concerned about the whole management change things, regardless of who the coach turns out to be. And I don't know what the what the football business is like, but in the industries I've been in, when there's a management change, everybody gets kind of worried because the the new guy wants to get credit for the improved performance of the company, so he makes sure that he has his new guys in there to to make sure it's done. I hope that doesn't happen in the NFL. Well, I guess I'm a little confused in terms of what you're referring to. You're saying that the new GM comes in and he brings in his own people and maybe makes some changes. Dave Gettleman changed some in the scouting department, and he was a guy that was even tied into the Giants organization. 
Yeah, I was thinking more of the players, I guess. Oh, okay, because the way it sounded was as if you were talking about reconstructing the front office. Well, the GM is going to come in, Joe Shane, and he clearly, during the interview process, I'm sure, Cliff, they asked him, give me your assessment of the roster. Where do you think the biggest need is? What pieces do you like that you think are building blocks? So those conversations, Cliff, have already happened. They're not going to all of a sudden, three days into his tenure, find out that he wants to get rid of 35 guys that are currently under contract. He probably already laid that out. And I don't think it would be stunning if he wants to make changes because, A, they have work to do, and, B, most GMs that come in, they're going to want to put their stamp on things. But I would say, once again, I think most of the heavy lifting is going to be done through the draft because that's where the Giants need to go. The development of some of the recent classes, which I find hard to believe that he would bail on so quickly considering they have some young guys, but also bringing in some of his own players based on his own scouting. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm hoping, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I've told you guys that I, I've been – very happy with the four drafts the last four years, really. I saw them as much better than what we had before, and I, I'm hoping the, these guys uh, get... get uh, I, I'm, I'm just wondering how, how a guy like Joe Shane comes in and, and looks at, at, um, at how, how, to, how, how does he tell what he has to build on in terms of we got these, these mysterious things that Joe Judge was doing that, that everybody was very happy that we were getting very close. We weren't there yet. And if it wasn't for the horrific fallout with the backup quarterback, you know, you might even still be here. Um, but can, can he get all of that attitude stuff and smart player stuff and people being in the right spot at the right time and people that can play different positions and all that stuff that has nothing to do with being all pro, does, 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 does he have a shot at picking up on all that stuff? I think the head coach is the guy who's much more responsible for that than the GM. Thank you, Cliff. I mean, to be honest with you, John, yeah, the GM, when he's putting together the roster, obviously he consults the head coach, and there may be some guys who he says to the head coach, look, you you got to get more of this kind of guy on the team somehow. What can we come up with? Are there some names that will fit this role? I mean, there's always going to be a GM who's going to say to a head coach, do you have enough leaders? Do you have enough guys who can inspire? Do you have enough guys who have the good work ethic? You know, do you have that? And the coach is going to say, well, I have this, this, and that, but I could use some of this. Can you go get it for me? It's, it's collaborative, but it's the head coach who's in the locker room who's really going to kind of construct that menu and then work on it with the GM. Yeah, I agree. 201-939-4513. Jacob in New Haven joins us next. Hi, Jacob. How are you? Hey, this is Jason from New Haven, but thanks for taking my call. What's so up, Jason? Appreciate it. Yep. Hey, nothing. I'll try to make it quick so you have a call. I just want to say, uh, non-Giants related, I just want to say, fellas, as a football fan, that um, that Bills and Chiefs game was just incredible yesterday. Um, and that just goes to show having a franchise quarterback is very important. Um, and I'm not throwing shots at Daniel Jones or any other quarterbacks we have on the roster, but you could just tell that, you know, some quarterbacks are just head and shoulders above the rest. So it was really good watching that game yesterday. And by the way, not um, for nothing, Jason, if you go back to the if you go to the Bucks Rams game, those two quarterbacks look pretty darn good in that game too. Yeah. Oh, to be yeah. honest. You, you know, Absolutely. Jason, I, I was talking to my dad about this today and I said, What you just saw this weekend were the elite guys. Except for one, right? Okay. Well, yeah, Stafford. Right. I don't consider Stafford necessarily elite. Well, well, I was, I was a well, solid I, quarterback, though. I was going to say Garoppolo, but okay, okay. Well, but yesterday, oh, yesterday, correct. yesterday yes. we saw elite guys. Well, Stafford can flash elite ability. He, can. he doesn't do it maybe cons- consistently as those other guys, but he certainly has the elite stuff in his. But, in but his, that's in his why, backpack. to me, there's a class of star quarterbacks. Then there's the superstars who border on elite, and then there's the guys literally at the top of the mountain. Those guys are elite. And those guys are once every 10 years, two every 20 years. You know, you just don't find those guys very often. Brady's one of them. The Breeze, Manning, Mahomes, Brady, all those guys. Those guys are so few. Marino, Elway. You're talking about Hall of Famers. Of course, exactly. Well, the elite guys, the Hall of Famers, the elite guys. And it's unrealistic, okay? I believe it's unrealistic for most teams in most years to say, well, we've got to get one of those in the draft. Because, you know what? You don't get one of those guys very often. Well, look, because there's only three or four of those. But I think 
trying to get the five to nine guys. You know, what one of the top ten well, I think is realistic. The stars, right? right? The stars and maybe the superstars, but the elite guys. It's almost unrealistic to expect that you can find those because, you know, most years. There's going to be a couple of guys, one or two, three quarterbacks up at the top of the draft who people think are going to be those guys, and they turn out not to be. Right. I got you. Right. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll keep it keep it moving. But, yeah, just to see those two, and we're probably going to see those two for another 10 years. So I'm, I'm looking forward to just outside of the Giants fan, outside of being a Giant, just watching those two play. So, yeah. anyway, and it shows that the draft is a you because for those two not to have been number one overall, just shows that the draft is absolute crapshoot. But anyway, um, hindsight's always twenty twenty, my friend. I know. And environment <laughs> matters too. That's what it's another example yeah. of. Well, See, I hear a lot right. of people saying if Josh Allen was drafted elsewhere, I think Josh Allen's a solid player who's developed into that. But that doesn't mean he would be putting up what he's doing in Buffalo right now. You can't assume those things. Well, the coaching and the environment mm-hmm. make Josh Allen what he is right now. Well, That's true. And, and, and I think it's actually, Jason, a, a very interesting comparison you think about it, right? Joe Burrow was a guy that was selected first overall, right? And I think we kind of saw what he was coming out of college. The reason Allen and Mahomes slipped a little bit is that in college you could see those guys had all the tools – but they had not yet put it all together. Like, Joe Burrow at LSU had almost already maximized his skill set, right? That's why he went number one. Allen and Mahomes didn't go that high because while they had the tools, they had not put it all together yet. So teams were betting on the fact that that was going to happen. And that's always a risk, right? Because that doesn't always happen. There are guys like Mahomes and Allen that people say, well, if that guy puts it all together, he's going to be fantastic. They never do. And then you look like an idiot for picking that guy. But those guys, again, part of its environment, like Lance said, part of it is their own personal improvement and coaching and you know their own ability. They were able to do it. And you're right. That's why the draft is so freaking difficult. And isn't it, isn't it <laughs> funny, and it's not a coincidence, that the elite quarterbacks usually have skill position guys who will go get it and yeah. make a play for them, yeah. too. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's sure. not a coincidence. Yeah. All right, Jason, what else you got for us? Right. All right, I'll make three points, and then you, know, you, you could answer when I get off the yeah. air. So, this is related to uh, Josh Allen when I say I bring up this uh, gentleman, uh, Dable, from the OC. Um, so I know, I guess, you know, not saying that he's getting the job, but I guess he's getting a lot of traction from the media and fans or whatever the case may be. Here's my thing. I don't know how much to give him credit. Now, yeah, Josh Allen was raw when he got to the Bills, and he has ascended to stardom. Um, but, like you said, he did have a lot of raw physical tools and just watching him yesterday, I, I don't know how much. Now, a lot of that is play design. Um, a lot of that is just creativity, watching film. But some of those plays he made yesterday, I don't really see 20 other quarterbacks making them as far as the running and some of just the pinpoint throws. So I don't know how much credit to give a lot of these OCs as opposed to maybe Josh Allen is just. No, look. He's, he's, J- he's Ben Roethlisberger. No, Jason, J- J- no, Jason, look. Ten-second answer, then you can keep going. You're right. When you have a quarterback that does super special things, it's tough to figure out where the OC starts and where the quarterback begins. You know what I mean? Totally agree. Next right. point. Um, as far as the OC and the DC head coach preference or CEO type, here's how I look at it. Now, I, I called last week. I did say Flores is my favorite just because I've seen him do it in Miami. Now, it was a short period of time, but I've seen him do it. So, to me, he's my favorite, but... Whoever they choose is, is their choose, and we'll support it. But I think I was talking to some friends of mine. I think sometimes fans get too caught up in the whole, oh, he was an OC, he's a DC. This is what I want as a head coach, right? It's about knowing the rules of the game, the flow of the game. Clock time management is very important. Using timeouts wisely and bringing in the right coaches as far as OC, DC, that's whatever it. that may sure. be. That's it. And that's the big that one. That to me is important. Can Dable do that? I don't know yet. Um, can Flores do that? You know, was he perfect in Miami? No. Or well, I can name any other head coach that hasn't been perfect in certain things. Right, Jason. I would, I would, I would say one thing very quickly about Flores. He cycled through three different OCs in three years there. Yeah, and that is scary, and I was going to say that. That is scary. Mm-hmm. And then the last point, this is a roster question for you guys, and I'll take it off the air. So I've called before in the past, and you look, I don't know if you guys know or not, but I'm a big Carter fan, Lorenzo Carter. And to me, those last few weeks of the season, to me, is the Lorenzo Carter I've been waiting for? Now, has it been mismanagement of his position? Has it been injuries? I know he came off that Achilles injury, so maybe he's feeling better. 
I hope some way we can find to keep him or maybe shame, maybe see something in him. Like, hey, maybe we keep him. Now, is he that Batman pass rusher? No, but let's just say, for instance, we draft one of those top guys. I'm not saying it's uh, the guy from Oregon or Hutchinson, but maybe it's Carl, the, the dude from Purdue. Let's just say whoever. If we could draft a pass rusher. I mean, to me, fellas, a, a pass rush, uh, a foursome of Carter, uh, Ojolari, Roche, and let's just say, I know it's not going to happen, but let's just say Hutchinson. I mean, to me, that's a nice four-man rush. So what do you guys think about possibly keeping Carter? I know it's going to depend on what defense and what coordinator we get and that whole thing and match and salary demands and all that kind of thing. But I think if we could find a way to keep him, maybe on a short-term two-, three-year deal, um, I would love to see him back because, to me, that's the car that we've been waiting for and I've been waiting for. So I just wanted to see what you guys uh, – thought about that and you guys have a good day. Thank you, Jason. You too. Look, I think the thing about Lorenzo Carter is that I don't think he's going to be super expensive. You know, he's not a guy that gets a ton of sacks. And know? he's had a lot of injuries. Correct. So I think I'm with Jason. I would like to bring Lorenzo Carter back as well. Again, it's going to depend on interest on outside and cost and all that stuff. But look, do I think he's a guy that, that that's going to get you double-digit sacks consistently? I do not. But I think he's a very solid edge player. And frankly, if, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Let's say they go to a 4-3 defense, right? He's a perfect strong side outside linebacker. I love him as the strong side 4-3 outside backer. That's where he belongs. I agree. And I think his skill set actually fits better there than as a 3-4 outside totally, linebacker. Totally, John. 1,000%. So, no. But what are the Giants going to run this year? No idea. <laughs> Bingo! Well, that's why it depends on the new coaching staff. But remember, you wouldn't have to make a decision of Lorenzo Carter until you have a new coaching staff in place anyway. So you'd be getting the opinion yep. of the new coaching staff. And I, I don't think you'd have to break open the piggy bank because I think other teams that are evaluating him are probably going to be asking the same questions that the Giants are. Those last few games, is that a sign of what's yet to come? Or was that just a brief flash? And remember, it wasn't just the Achilles injury, by the way. He had an ankle ankle injury, too. So it was the combination of both of those things. Even Patrick Graham, if you go back and you listen to one of his most recent press conferences towards the tail end of the season, he was asked about, why is everything seem to be clicking for Lorenzo? And he said, well, Lorenzo, he came back from the Achilles injury, and then he was nursing the ankle injury. So you had both of those things that prevented him from really being able to get over the hill and climb over that obstacle. And I think that contributed to why we didn't see him maybe show some of those flashes until late. But I think if the Giants look at him as a guy that could be in the mix, I really don't think that it's going to be something that's damaging to the salary cap. So I think financially they could certainly manage that. Back to the – I'm sorry, Paul, go ahead. I I was simply going to say a great example of a guy who's got to get a good scheme fit was Devon Kennard, who did not have a good scheme fit here moves on to Detroit, and he became much more productive. And that, and now he's tailed off again. Well, yeah. I yeah. mean, but he, he turned out to, what, have like a seven-year, eight-year NFL yeah, career? No and he And he did okay for himself. Mm-hmm. But better, Solid player. better production after he left here because he found a scheme that fit him better. And if somebody out there believes that, you know what, we've got an established 4-3 scheme and Lorenzo Carter is going to be a real good fit for us, they may be willing to spend a little bit more than the Giants to get him. 201. No, I was just going to say, another example that comes to mind, and I know he didn't have as much experience as Devon Kennard, but Romeo Aquara, who also went to the Detroit Lions. 4-3 defensive end, who was not fit for the 3-4 here. He was just not. 201-939-4513. Good point. Let's go to Len in Columbia, Maryland. He's up next. Hey, Len. Hey, guys. How you doing? Whoa, Len. What's going on? Good, good. Hey, uh, I'll, I'll I'll be quick today. But I'd like your comment on... Uh, hey, Len, on Len, the uh, <laughs> Len, 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 real quick, there's something going on with your phone. You sound kind of like uh, a robot. I'm not sure what's going on with low it. Low battery? We can barely understand Maybe? what you're saying. So I I don't want you to waste your call this week on something where we can't hear a darn thing that's coming is out of your mouth. So do you want to call us back real quick? Okay, is this better, John? No, it is not. Same, yeah. Okay. Sounds like you're talking I'll, I'll, I'll on the patented to... phone from Alexander Graham Bell. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Len. Call us back. Call us back, buddy. Appreciate the call. Yeah, he yeah, he sounds like he's like it sounds like he's like on one of those like specials where you have to like disguise the guy's voice because you don't want him to know who he is when he's like testifying about somebody else's crime. Yeah. Well, I didn't know if he had a sore like. throat initially. That's what I was thinking. And then wow. it seemed like it was the phone connection. Yeah. Yeah. I'm picturing the one where you hold up one part of the mechanism to your mouth and then you 
you know, the rotary phones with the fingers and everything, yeah, and yeah. that whole setup. Yes. I remember those, Lance. Oh, I'm sure. Listen, I remember them, too. No, you, I, I remember. I wasn't bringing them up to date you. I certainly remember them. When I was a kid, they were still around. See, now, the funny okay. thing is that Paul says he remembers them. He did not point out that that is currently the phone in use in his house. <laughs> well, because he leaves out those details. Yes. That's the problem. Yes. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Jeff in Rhode Island. He's up now. We get all the old school guys today. Jeff, what's going on, man? Yeah, Johnny, I guess I am an old school guy, huh? What's up? How are you, how you guys doing today? We're great. Hi. Hey, my, my question is uh, for all three of you. And, uh, regarding the, the new head coach, whomever he may be, do you think that he's coming into a situation that may be better, worse, or the same as uh, what George, uh, Joe Judge was uh, walking into? And I'll hang up and listen. Thank okay. you. Thank you, Jeff. Better. There's no question. Look at the roster. The roster's much better off, especially yes, with younger potential. But there was a lot more flexibility with the roster when Judge came, and guys, a lot of the young guys weren't going to hit for agency in short order. Well, that part's true, but then, again, you've also got the five draft picks in the top 81 this particular season, which is true. a very sweet perk. Yes, I would say the roster's better now than it was two years ago. But again, the lack of flexibility and some of those better players might end up having to be cash ca- cap casualties at some point. That could be an issue. You do like, however, the fact that your quarterback has some more experience, even though you haven't got a concrete answer if he's on Jones guy. yet. Right. Mm-hmm. But you like the fact that he's at least had some years of, of playing. Yeah. What do you think, Lance? It's an interesting question. I mean, I'm thinking back to when Shermer left. And I know this may open up a whole other conversation, but I thought the offense was in pretty good shape statistically, too, in terms of what Shermer got onto the offensive side of the ball. I think the issue was when Shermer left, it was the defensive question marks. I think you flip-flopped now following the two years of Joe Judge. I think you feel good about some of the things on defense, though it depends on who's running the scheme. And I think now you're trying to salvage something on offense. So my actual feelings and outlook of the team have completely flip-flopped in terms of when Joe Judge entered versus when Joe Judge left. That's how I view things. 201-939-4513. Marco in Connecticut is up next. We're rapid-firing today. Marco, what's up? Hey, hey, fellas. Thanks for taking my call. Hi. Um, comment and a question. I, I'm just hopping on right now, so I didn't listen to the first part of the show. Could you guys talk about... Um, a lot, uh, did you carry over your point from last week about the offensive play caller being the head coach? Did you yep. guys go into a little bit of a that? A little set? bit. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah okay. we did a little bit. Okay, so so my only thing was when I was listening last week, it really, you guys jumped out to me yesterday. I'm, I'm sitting on the couch watching, and I'm just real quick going around the league in my head. I'm like, you know, the teams that are alive here. And, and Paul, by the way, I should say, I totally see your point. Um, if I had my if I had my way, I would say the CEO type who doesn't call plays is kind of overseeing the whole operation. But I can't help but notice, you know, Shanahan in San Francisco, McVeigh in um, for the, the Rams, Rams. Zach, Zach, Zach Taylor with Cincinnati. Um, obviously, the enemy and Andy Reid, notably Andy Reid who calls the plays. I'm like, it is alarming. And Andy Reid does have experience, but these guys that have been around even for a short, short time that are calling their own plays. What I see are guys that are in sync with their quarterback. And it's like they are it, – it, it's like, um, uh, you know, it's like a second play call. It, it's like a second set of eyes, almost like Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. They're the same person on the field. Uh, and that's exactly why Cliff Kingsbury wanted him as his quarterback. So – I'm still watching yesterday. I'm like, man, I, I, I don't really know. I guess I'm just going to trust uh, Sheen to make the right hire there, and I'm going to be okay with it. You know, there's one um, variable to add to your point, though, that none of us can possibly sure. calculate, and that is how many of the offensive-minded head coaches slash play callers have quarterbacks who often make plays above the X's and the O's because their capabilities are so elite for instance, Sean Payton had Drew Brees. Drew Brees was phenomenal. How many times do you think Drew Brees just made plays? That's and that's, How many times does Mahomes or Josh Allen just make plays? And that's why the McVay-Shanahan stuff is so interesting to me, right? Right. Because Shanahan has Garoppolo, so he's obviously elevated him. And McVay, until this year, had Goff, who's fine, but he's not 
elevating the offense on his own, right? Yeah. So that's why that scheme and system kind of appeals to me because I've seen them take quarterbacks that aren't – that's not Tom Brady. That's not right. Josh Allen. That's not Patrick yeah. Mahomes. And yeah. they've had success with guys that are not the super-duper elite of the elite. Yeah, Kyle ran, Kyle won games with Nick Mullins as his quarterback. Right, exactly, yeah. So, I mean, that stands out. And also, Paul, as far as your point about Sean Payton, I would add that, remember, he then witnessed life without Drew Brees, and he kept his head above water. He did. With Jameis Winston yeah, but, and Taysom Hill But that was mostly because guys. of the defense, though, Lance. Right. Their offense was in the right. bottom fifth of the league. More so No, but when, when Hill—hold on. When Hill took over, they were running the offense to cater his needs, and they were doing pretty good— from that standpoint, and Teddy Bridgewater, if you remember, he had that game against Chicago where he threw for like four to five touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, so it was fine. I mean, there were some games where I thought he still was getting offensive production. It wasn't just necessarily ultimately. The ultimately, up the slack. I think it's it's impossible to tell in any of these these mixtures or, or marriages, if you will, how much the quarterback had to do with the success or vice versa. It really is hard to determine that. Yeah, and I'll just say New Orleans had the 28th-ranked offense this year in terms of yards per game. And then well, last year, and just just for the record, last year, and that was with – they were 12th. So that's where they were the last two years. Well, and then what? what but that wasn't the Teddy Bridgewater year, was that? Uh, the Bridgewater year would have been last year, right? So that would have been when that's they right. were That's right, okay, because yeah, right? he left yeah, to uh, – mm-hmm. well, no, because he was in Carolina last year, though, John. And then he went to Denver this year. Yes. So that would have been two years ago. Two years ago. Two years ago. Two years, ago. Okay. Two yeah. years right. Yep. Yeah, that would have been two years. So, so two years ago. Ninth, ninth. Okay, yeah. so see, yeah, yeah. Ah, good point. That's fair. I, re- I really, I, re- I just, I equate it more though to success, team success, with these offensive guys that are calling their own plays. Um, you're going to see. I think Byron Leftwich, if he gets the head coaching job, I could see him calling his own plays. And you know, if he goes to a, a tough spot like Jacksonville, maybe, maybe the results won't be there in the beginning, a la Cincinnati. But it, it, right now, it looks like. Those results aren't going to be too far behind. Um, let me ask you a quick question, and then I'll jump off. My question, totally different topic. Um, when when Gettleman came in, I remember hearing about the salary cap that, you know, because we spent a lot in 2016, we were kind of strapped on what we could do. We went yep. all in on the defense. All right. Um, are we now in a similar situation right now with the, with the new GM coming in, or yep. is or would you would you categorize the situation as actually? A it's tight. Tougher? It's tight. I, I mean, I, honestly, when Dave Gettleman came in, I almost think those contracts were instead of being one year in, they were two years in, so they're almost a little bit easier to get out of. I think you're closer to the beat because remember, this is one year after Galladay, one year after Jackson. It's two years after Bradbury, mind you. But that year when Gettleman came in, two yeah, years. Two years it was two years after Jenkins, two years after Vernon, and two years after Snacks. Those are the three big additions, right? right? So those contracts were a little bit further along. And the further you get into these contracts, obviously the easier it is to then move on yes. from these guys from a cap perspective. So uh, I think it's very similar, Marco. I think maybe you know this might take a little bit longer just because you had a couple of those big signings Well, there was the season. DRC signing, too. He got some good money. Yeah, he did. It's a good one, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you, Marco. But I I honestly think that's just dependent on how you look at it. I think you can make the argument either way. I mean, a lot of a lot of it is very subjective. Yeah, it's very subjective. You know, what do where do you place your value and how important are the priorities in terms of the different circumstances that will impact where you stand? Yeah, I mean, you could probably argue that like guys like Bradbury and Blake went healthy you know, probably still at the top of their game as opposed to maybe the guys. You'd like to believe so. So, yeah, I mean, look, you can you can make the argument either way. And it depends how well Galladay plays next year, right? It depends how no well question. Jackson plays next year. You'd like year, to so. believe that you're going to get the best out of a Dory Jackson in 2022, too. You'd like and to remember, believe that. Blake's yeah. also coming off a significant injury, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes a yeah. little bit more than a season for a guy to get back to that level. All right, let's go to Stas in Washington, D.C. He's up next. What's up, Stas? Hey, what's up, guys? What's going on? So, uh, a couple of things. Uh, so, a couple of things, but... Quick funny story about yesterday's playoffs. So I'm down in my, like, theater room, kind of family room, movie night type place watching the game. And my wife's upstairs, and um, she asked me to let her know when the game is over because she wants to watch Ozarks. So I said, yeah, I'll let you know. So I see Josh Allen drive down. He scored 13 seconds left. So oh, I called no. my wife. I said, hey, you start making your way down here. The game's over. 
And she comes down. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. No <laughs> she's like, all he needed, honey. She was just like, are you kidding me? I was like, I, I didn't. I, never in a million years would I would have bet he, he was going to do that. So, That's pretty good. 13 <laughs> seconds can be an eternity. Yeah, but and, and, you know, it, it, think of it this yeah. way. All they had to do was not let them gain 40 yards in, thir- in less than 13 seconds. If it took them 13 seconds you know, to I, gain 40 yards, they still would have won because they would have no time for the kick. All they had to do was allow fewer then like 30 or 35 yards in 13 seconds, and they would have won that game. Okay, the big question, how far did she throw the remote control? (laughs) No, but you see, my wife just has like a series of looks that I know how, what level in trouble I am. (laughs) It was the top level. (laughs) She gave me like, like, really? You know, know, because she was upstairs with our daughters doing something different, and I kind of disrupted that. And anyway... You know, yeah, once I saw, um, what's his name, Kelsey, come off on a free release, I was like, this is not going to be good. I was like, you don't give that man a free release. Once I saw that, I'm like, this ain't When will these new but, coaches um, learn? Beat up the tight yeah. end. Don't let him off the line of scrimmage. My God, hasn't listen, anybody ever seen Carl Banks play this game? Well, listen, I can understand if I was the tight end, but if it's, when it's Kelsey, you jam him. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and frankly, but, um, I, I thought Romo Stas made two really good points. One, you make him return the kick to to take time off the clock. Okay, you you know, you just kick it to the ten yard line, yeah. make him spend four or five seconds it, returning. Yeah. That that's number one. I thought that was a really good point. The second one, look, you know that Patrick Mahomes has to literally take the snap, two three steps out. Right? Why are you rushing four guys? Yeah. Don't know. Why are you rushing don't know. four guys? Yeah. Don't know. You should rush two guys. Tell them to get their hands up. Yep. You don't even go after the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Don't rush the passer. Just put your two big paws up and try to knock the ball down. Rushing the passer does nothing for you in that situation. Nothing. And Romo made I thought, a great point in the game him, saying that. You have to make him hold that ball longer than he wants to. Two or three seconds of snap. When they, when they clocked the ball, it was three seconds, right? Four, right? Well, just imagine it. Well, they didn't have to clock. They had a timeout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they exactly. had three timeouts. They, they, they stopped yeah. it at four. Yeah. yeah. But just imagine if you can get them to hold that ball, a, you know, two seconds longer every play, because your coverage is so good, and you force them to throw it away, or you force them into a tight window. Yeah. Either way, yeah, Stas, you're if you just have clock. if you just have two more guys in that shallow zone that you know slows Kelsey down for a couple seconds, it can make all the difference in the game. Bottom line is the yeah. Bills defense but, gave up forty-four but, yards. And in, in, the, and in nine seconds. Yeah, it's, it's not hard to ask a team to prevent the team from getting into field goal range Correct. with 13 seconds left, regardless Correct. of the kick. I get the point about the kick, but the bottom line is Kansas City also has some very dangerous return men. Also Let's true. not forget about yep. that. And we saw them really turn Twitter. it up a notch against Buffalo throughout that game. And you, said, and you said something on Twitter that I couldn't agree with more when everyone was just, like, complaining about these overtime rules. I'm like, the defense has a job to do. Like, your defense has a job to do. Hold them to a field goal, and you get a, and you get the ball back. If you hold them to a field goal, you get an opportunity. No, you let them march right down. Like that's yeah. Anyway, so here's the point I want to make. It's just really based on some things that were uh, other callers were, were bringing up, and it kind of got some thoughts in my head. But um, when I look at Josh Allen and Dable. And I think you're right, John. It's hard to say where, you know, the coordinator ends and the quarterback begins. But there's one thing that I do say, that I do credit the scheme. If that's Sean McDermott or if it's Dable, the, 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 the thing that I do feel is that this scheme looks like a tailor-made suit for Josh. No, absolutely. He totally agree. Totally agree. Where, yeah, where, when other times you watch games and you feel like, man, that quarterback just doesn't look comfortable with what they're asking him to do. You don't feel that way because a lot of his runs, yeah, he had some ad lib, but a lot of his runs were designed blocking runs for him. And it just seemed like they, they really tailored that. And that's something I really want to see us do because I felt like all last season, you know, like when I look at the Washington game, that uh, we, our first game against Washington, I felt like that was the best I ever saw a scheme-wise. Even though we lost the game, scheme-wise, I felt like Daniel Jones was just balling. And I was, I was like, wow, this is really what he should be doing. And then you, then you don't see it again for a little while. And, and I just want to see someone, whatever quarterback it is, if, if it ends up being DJ or someone else, let's just put a scheme that they can operate to their best, that it brings out all of their best assets. Um, 
I don't know about Zoe Carter. You know, Zoe Carter reminds me of this employee I once had that I really liked, that he worked really hard, but he just wasn't good. And it took me a long time to come to terms with the fact that he just isn't what I want, what I need him to be, even though as much as I like him. Because it just seems like there's always something. And if, if, if with, with, with Zoe, if we bring him back, I want to uh, hopefully it's maybe just a prove it deal and we don't spend too much money. It's not like we have a sense to spend. And, and lastly, play calling coaches. Don't you think that's a skill set? Like, I don't think every coach can do it. Like, I, I've seen coaches try and fail and do better at not, you know, like, and not calling plays, but it, it, once they hand off the play call, you know, they do a better job the opposite way. I, I think not, I don't think every coach can pull that off. I think that's a, that's a skill set all on its, on its own. Thank you, Stas. In my humble opinion. Appreciate the all call, right. my man. Bye. Thank you. Yeah, yeah look, I would obviously. Oh, go ahead, John. No, no, yeah. Lance, please go ahead. No, I was going to say I agree with that last statement. I think it's absolutely a skill set because I think there's a lot of good coaches in the NFL that can groom players, coach them up, study film with them. But I think there's something about rhythm, getting a feel for a game simultaneously while it's happening. You know, that to me is a different skill set than just going out on the practice field, right, and having all the time in the world. And also, you know, some of these guys, remember, they're on the sideline. Not every play caller is up in the box, which I think gives you a much better view and feel of the game. So I give a lot of credit to the individuals. You're on the sideline. You're not necessarily getting a great viewpoint sometimes of what the defense is bringing. You've got to decide on the rhythm. You've got to decide on what your next play call is. It absolutely is an acquired skill set. I would wholeheartedly agree with that last statement. All right, let's wrap up the show with Chuck in Portland, Maine. Charlie. Hey, guys. How y'all doing? We're good. What's Hi, up? Charlie. <laughs> hey, look, I just got a couple things uh, quickly. Uh, the Kansas City game uh, in uh, Buffalo. You know, Kansas City rebuilt their O-line in one year. So I don't want to hear anybody say we can't build, rebuild our O-line in one year. And that O-line won the game for them. I know Mahomes scrambled, and he's good at that. But those last two drives when they tied it and when they got it in overtime, there was not one holding penalty, not one illegal motion, not any of that. And they gave Mahomes time to throw. That O-line won the game for him. And the Bengals game, uh, the O-line almost lost the game for him. Nine sacks, but Burroughs still could throw the ball. That's what happens when you have an elite quarterback. And I want to ask you guys a question. How many, well, I know the answer to this one. How many fumbles out of those nine sacks did Burroughs have? He didn't have any. How many sacks? Be honest. If Jones was sacked nine times in the game, how many times would he have fumbled the damn ball? Charlie, if your point is that Daniel Jones isn't as good as Joe Burrow, okay. I mean, we're not... Yeah, okay. Okay. No, but I mean, I'm no just saying arguing holding that. on to the ball. I'm not even saying, like, throwing the ball. I'm just saying holding on to the ball. That's all I'm saying. Look, we need a new quarterback, and I think you guys all know that. So, But the AFC is so loaded with quarterbacks. They're so far ahead of the NFC right now. You've got Burroughs. You've got Herbert. You've got Mahomes. You've got Jackson. You've got Allen. Charlie, to be honest with you, I think stuff. it's time you start rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs. You complain about everything <laughs> every minute of the day, okay? Why don't you just move to Kansas City and root for the Chiefs? Because that's the only team you don't have any complaints about. Seriously. Hey, no, I, I have a complaint. Their defense was horrible. Their defense was horrible. They're lucky they won the game. Uh, look, I, I get complaints about every team. So, But, hey, look, Paul. You know, I'm a Giant fan, but we need an elite quarterback, and I hope this new head coach and whoever else we have, OC, gets one. That's what we need. Thanks, guys. Well, I think he should just go down to the store, and you could say, you know what I want? I want a top-five quarterback. Um, how much would that cost, sir? Right. A couple <laughs> bucks? Okay. I'll take one. I mean, yeah. they, don't, they don't just show up. They don't grow on trees either. They don't. They don't just show up. And, and by the way, yeah, the Chiefs fixed their offensive line. It cost them a first-round pick, a second-round pick, and a center at the top of the market. Mm-hmm. Well, we had this a conversation. A lot of resources. And, by the way, a, a, a fifth-round pick in Smith that was really a third-round pick that only dropped because of his medical issue. Right. So they basically used the equivalent of three day one and day two picks and a center at the top of the market. 
That's a lot of re- Yes, if the Giants do that, can they fix their offensive line in a year? Yes. By the way, there's no guarantee it'll work. Right. You have to pick the right guys. Well, first of all, what I was going to say is if you go back early in the season, the Chiefs offensive line did have some struggles. I think they got better as a group as the season progressed. And why is that, guys? Well, you know, as John mentioned, you had two draft picks from 2021. You figure right as the season progresses, those guys with more experience are going to improve. The two splashes was Orlando Brown, who they acquired from the Ravens. You were talking about the draft picks, John. And then Joe Tooney, your left guard, who was given the franchise tag by the Patriots the year prior. He hit the free agent market, which is very rare. What do we talk about all the time? The reason why these players never hit the market is because you tag them, and then you get a new contract, you lock them up. So Tooney happened to be the rare guy that hit the market, and they had to have the money. They spent some pretty good money on Joe Tooney, okay? So if you're comparing that to, all right, it's so easy, the Giants should do that. The Giants then would have to sacrifice draft picks or a guy like Orlando Brown, and they'd have to have the money to go out and grab Joe Tooney. And by the way, pay and Orlando draft Brown. a few guys too. And, and the Chiefs are going to have to pay Orlando Brown too. Sure, yeah, because they never worked out a full deal when they acquired right. him. So there were a lot of different tentacles to that. It wasn't just well they revamped their offensive line. Now there's still work to be done. As far as Cincinnati's group, by the way, they still have work to be done. And as far as the point about well they still won the game. Burrow on a few of those sacks. If you watch that game closely, guys, he actually I thought made bad decisions by losing more yardage than he should have yep, because mm-hmm. he held on to the ball. Correct. What happened? Fortunately, they actually initially they had six sacks they wound up with nine but on four of those six sacks they actually wound up scoring points I thought the Bengals did a good job getting some positive yardage on the second or the third down that followed it wasn't necessarily a home run play but they got back enough to give their field goal kicker an opportunity to put points on the board it wasn't as if they were getting sacked and all of a sudden they were salvaging that into touchdown drives. Well, so that's yeah. what kept their head above water as to why they won that very close game. And also, so you can just throw it to Jamar Chase at the line sure. of scrimmage, then of he runs for 56 yeah. yards. That also That's also going to help you overcome an offensive line. Guys, good stuff. We got to run. We got an interview we got to do here in about three minutes. Lance, good stuff. Paul, good stuff. We'll talk to you tomorrow at noon. You got it, John. Sounds that's good. another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Thanks for being with us. And check out the John Soto podcast feed. Uh, we have a Vic um, Carucci interview talking about Joe Shane from late last week. I'm sure you've seen that already. Check it out. And then starting today, we're going to start recording him as soon as we're done with the show. Uh, we're going to be doing interviews with guys that are covering each of the head coaching candidates. We've confirmed that the Giants have interviewed. And those will start going up today and over the next few days. Uh, you know, who knows how fast and furious this head coach shirts is going to go. So we want to make sure we get them up quickly. For Lance Meadow and Paul Dottino, I'm John Schmuck. And check out the Giants on the podcast. We'll see you tomorrow at noon on Giants.com.